All right. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, let's see if everything works fine here. Okay. I think I may not have desktop audio. Let's do this. But can people hear me? So again, uh, hey, everyone, I need some kind of confirmation that people can hear me. So yeah, uh, well, do you, you guys can... hear us? Do you hear us talking right now? Uh... All right, we need someone to acknowledge our existence on either my <laughs> channel or on your channel. So any one person to just tell us that we exist to just confirm I, okay someone just said i, I can't hear you so okay so they can't hear on I, your volume can you, can you but mine's working okay. no problem no, audio. no i did something wrong <laughs> That's not I, oh can you hear me now uh, people from the what the math channel do you hear me yeah uh just very low okay i'll turn it up Let's, audio, how, about, yeah. how about now how about now can you hear me now <laughs> it's like the commercial can you hear me now i wonder if it's going to be delayed i should to look and see we are we are absolutely breaking the laws of physics here oh, okay no, we can hear you both it, our vo is volume fine yeah we definitely broke some laws of physics yeah here. yeah yeah I'm, um so my face now is it's loud delayed. now it's too loud yeah i know my face is delayed and and in the way that it's uh, not synced with the sound, I think. Yeah. And that's probably because I am in South Korea and Fraser is in Vancouver. So the, as you know, the speed of light uh, <laughs> is a little bit slow. Now people are saying they can't hear me yet. Oh, they oh, can okay. hear both. Okay. I think we've got it figured out. Oh uh, yeah. It says yeah. I only hear Anton. Okay, yeah. But now it looks like they've got it here. So, all right. So just, just to let everybody know what is going on here. So I, I'm Fraser Kane, publisher of universe today. Every Monday I do a live QA on my channel called open space where I just, I bring in a guest. I ask, answer people's questions about space and astronomy. Anton Petrov does an amazing channel called what to math. And we're going to get into that in a second. But he is someone that a lot of people have asked for me to interview here on my channel. And I said, no problem. Let's do it. Um, happy to happy to invite him. And so I invited him and we went back and forth and figured out a time that he was going to be able to show up. And Anton said, hey, I think I can live stream this at the exact same time that you do. And so this is the first time anybody has ever proposed this. And I'm sure the technology to be able to do this is uh, very complicated. Uh, but I think we're kind of pulling it off. So hopefully there's going to be some technical issues. Apologies in advance to everybody. I think you may, as you said, see a little bit of a, a stream delay on Anton's side. I'm looking at both the chat from the people who uh, who are on my channel and the people on Anton's channel. So, so I feel like we we're having a party and all these people are all together. Anton, welcome to, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I'm super happy to be here. And this is definitely the best party, uh, currently on YouTube. <laughs> so do join in space party, uh, space party. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I, if you don't know who I am, I am, well, I am a Canadian living in South Korea. I've been here since 2007 and, um, I've been running uh, a channel very unfortunately called what the math. And that's because I, I was a math teacher for a very long time, uh, started as a math channel. Um, and basically the channel has been sort of my full-time job now for about, I think about four and a half years. Um, and uh, it's it's basically become my life now and i'm actually and this is my first time i'm an announcing this officially i'm taking a break off my full-time teaching job now to focus on this and to try to do my best uh to become basically a better space educator in a well, sense that's fantastic and uh, we'll see how it goes uh i got approval from my family to kind of do this and <laughs> let's see how it goes <laughs> oh well there you go that's all you need yeah exactly uh, so so then um so I guess we both have to say a boot for the rest of yeah, this. Uh, so that's what I got in my chat as well. It says for the rest of the party, we have to say a boot. Yeah. And what else do we have to? Oh, a. Yeah. A. Yeah, I have to say right. A a lot. <laughs> uh, okay. So, awesome. Um, uh, I actually had surprisingly quite a lot of questions already for both of us um, about space. And one of them like really kind of bedazzled me on the spot um this person just posted very recently he basically said well i have a question for you i can't attend your stream but i want to ask you guys could you theoretically 
surf a gravitational wave. Right. And this is from Zachary Fluke. I don't know if you saw this question. I well, I, yeah, I totally saw that question. And Zachary is a, is a follower on my channel for a while. I know the answer to that question. Okay, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the answer is, is no, it would tear you apart. So when you think about how a wave works, right, you're, you're essentially going downhill down, you're, you're going down a slope and the slope is constantly moving. And so you're constantly being pushed down that slope. But a gravitational wave is this stretching that is sweeping past you where you are on earth. So right, like right now, there are gravitational waves that are passing your body right now and they are pulling you one way and then they are pushing you back together and sometimes pulling you the other way. And so the, that effect is so tiny that you wouldn't even experience it. But if you were really close to say two black holes that were in the process of merging together, they would be generating gravitational waves that were so powerful that they would tear you apart. But the thing is, is that the the force, the tidal forces from those those black holes would be even stronger. So the the deadliness of the of the gravitational waves is outmatched by the deadliness of the tidal forces and the radiation that's streaming from the accretion disk and, you know, all of the other things that are associated with being around a black hole. So but you wouldn't be able to surf it. That's awesome. I learned something new today. And so to answer your question, Zachary, no, that's <laughs> ouch. Please don't try. <laughs> Please don't try. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know if you had any questions on your channel. Uh, I, I seem to be having a lot of them here. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, it's, I mean, like I said, we're just drinking from the fire hose here. I saw one. That, exactly. tell you what, we'll t why don't we take turns? Because I see right. one that's there from Paradox okay. TV, which is what new things will we find with the James Webb telescope? And I think that's a, a great question. Huh. And of course, if people don't know the James Webb Space Telescope, it's mm -hmm. the it's the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. But it's going to be it was supposed to have launched a long time ago. Now it looks like it's going to be 2021. And it is a really big telescope. It's a more than a six meter telescope. But the trick with James Webb is that it's in the infrared spectrum. So it's going to be looking at objects that are very cool in the universe and examples of temperature things wise. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, they're, 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 they're awesome. But temperature wise, yeah. And so examples of that are things like uh, newly forming planets, when you have like a newly forming planet around a young star, the planets are, are very cool. And they're also shrouded in gas and dust. And this gas and dust obscures the light that comes from the star. And so invisible light, we can't see it, but in infrared, infrared can go through that gas and dust. And so we'll be able to actually see the um, We'll be able to see the newly forming planets around these stars. And then the other thing that James Webb is going to be able to do is see the first galaxies as they're coming together at the very mm -hmm. edge of the visible universe because they are in the infrared spectrum. And so because they're essentially moving away from us so fast that the light has been redshifted, that the right spectrum of light to look at those galaxies is is in the infrared spectrum. And so those are the two really big things. But it's going to be doing able to sort of go after everything. Mm -hmm. All right, I get to pick one for you now. All right, awesome. Um, let's see. Oh, there was an interstellar question. All right. So Caleb Osborne asks, uh, what are the chances that we will get a better, faster, more efficient way to travel in space? What are the chances? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, chance-wise, I'm, I'm not the one to take chances usually, but I'd say it would take us a while before we even get there. And I think it's mostly due to politics, not the science. Um, like we've all heard the actual, or we read the stories about, you know, even China trying to develop new sort of propellant technologies, trying to use all kinds of things like even quantum engines to try to like use um, technologies that don't technically exist yet, but are, are possible to exist. Uh, but at the same time, when it comes to the actual, you know, physical development of the engines, it always comes down to the money and the politics. So I'd have to say it will be a while before we can develop anything worthwhile to take it to space. Um, I, I think one of the videos I've made previously was actually about um, the, the biggest engine and the biggest rocket ever conceived on a piece of paper. It was the Sea, Dra yeah. sea Dragon. And I mean, it was a brilliant design and everything would have worked if it wasn't for the Vietnam War, which suddenly, you know, leached all the money and 
there was no more support coming to the to the development of the rocket, and so they had to basically uh, lower the expectations for their program. Uh, eventually, we obviously landed on the moon because of this, but still, it, it kind of removed all of the funding. And so, technology-wise, we might develop it, but I don't think it'll it'll actually come to fruition anytime soon. Um, I think the paper that I was recently reading uh, was about that. I was actually trying to figure out what happened to that engine that we were supposed to create that was kind of warping space so around the it. The M drive? You know, uh, it was kind of the, like the M drive, but there was a scientist who developed. Oh, there was like the mock, uh, there was like the mock effect thrust yeah, or something like that. There was and, another and, one, yeah. And so he, what he actually did, I think, he, he, he ran computer simulations and he was able to create um, this model of the warp engine that would be a oh, lot more efficient. The Alcubierre drive. Um, I think maybe that was it. Yeah. But the, the, the whole um, premise was brilliant. And then suddenly, you know, it kind of stopped and it, it yeah. kind of makes you think, you know, why, what happens? Like, it was a brilliant idea. Why, why don't people fall off on this? And so I, I think it, it really just comes down to, you know, do we have finances, which is really why, in some sense, I admire Elon Musk for taking all these risks he's taking with all his crazy ideas because he's just doing it because no one else would, you know? Yep. Uh, apparently there's, uh, there's music still going on in the background. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Let me actually see if that's from me. It, it probably is, yeah. Yeah, it's probably on your stream. Like, you probably put up, okay. got a window somewhere going. Yeah. Okay, so the music is gone now. Awesome, right thank on. you. All right. Um, all right. So, what else do we have? Oh, okay. Someone just mentioned uh, nuclear thermal rockets are the next uh, step for space exploration. Iron thrusters for small un unmanned probes. So we were we've already been using iron thrusters. Actually, that reminds me. Uh, the dawn is yeah. finally coming to conclusion. Wah, wah. And really yeah. sad. Yeah, uh, it is I don't super know sad. People might not know what, what we're talking about, but uh, Dawn mission was actually um, the first mission ever to be able to orbit two separate objects in our solar system. Yeah. It was a probe that uh, went around Vesta for a while, and then we took it to Ceres, and it's still there. Uh, and it actually has a lot of iron propellant left, a lot of xenon propellant, but it's running out of that a traditional hydrazine uh, that we use for uh, changing direct uh, changing like pointing our cameras and stuff like that uh, changing slight deviations of orbit uh and so it's basically almost out and once it's out it's just dead weight for nasa i i wonder though do you think they'll be able to come up with a way to somehow utilize the ion thruster with the um well you know what yeah, I, mean? I think so that's what is... the japanese did right uh remember yeah. when the there was a mission to Venus that kind of kind of failed at first, and they somehow figured out after like a year of planning how to control it using some other engine that nobody thought about. And so they were actually able to place um, uh, their probe around Venus quite successfully using a completely unexpected engine. I don't remember the details, but it was a, it was a pretty exciting mission. Yeah, so one of the parts that, that I always find so fascinating, a good example of this is the Kepler spacecraft, right? Kepler lost two of its reaction wheels, and so it was unable to point itself anymore. And so the scientists working with the Kepler mission figured out that if you pointed Kepler in exactly the right place, the light pressure coming from the sun was balanced equally on it and it would keep it perfectly pointing in the direction that it was pointing at. And then after every period of, of you know, every observing run, it had enough of that, that hydrazine in its tanks mm -hmm. to be able to turn itself back to earth, dump all of the data and then turn back to that perfect balance point again and and point some more and so that idea that that you can use the solar wind from the sun to yeah. to balance your spacecraft and allow you to point and keep doing science is phenomenal and so i wouldn't be surprised i i really should even do an article on this that there's got to be some engineers working at nasa who have some ways that they think they can get dawn to keep working because as you said there's there's still xenon in the engine even if the if the hydrazine thrusters are, are almost out so so stay stay tuned i think i wouldn't be surprised if they figure out something i and i, I mean it's one of the best missions we've had so far so definitely my hopes are sort of uh, on them succeeding as well um what there was another cool question someone was actually asking me and this is i think this is something i speculated in one of my videos and also it's from a book i totally forgot what the name of the book was but 
This person uh, by the name of CZR? Caesar. Oh, it's Caesar. Okay. He's asking, can we expect to find civilizations or some kind of life on the surface of a fast spinning neutron star? Whoa. Now, I'm trying to remember the name of that book. I know. And someone in the chat is going to mention it. Ah, uh, it's not Brin. It, so, it's Canadian the premise, author. Yeah. And the premise of the story is, is like so humans start orbiting in this neutron star and they discover there's life there. And the life evolves super fast. And so by the time they like, I think they just started orbiting within an hour, the life is super advanced. And then they kind of like do something to the humans. I don't remember the details. I think they actually send them some kind of a solution to life problems. Right. Or something along those lines. But anyway, um, the idea for, in my opinion, the idea go. for- Dragon's Egg by Robert Forward. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Um, so I think the idea for life on a neutron star is actually not too far-fetched, but not the life that we obviously have on Earth. It's, right. it's most, mostly because it's, when you think about it, like a neutron star technically is more planetary in terms of actually structure and composition. Like when you really look at it from as a whole, you know, there's sort of like a crust-like co uh, component. There's sort of a, the atmosphere component. It's very, very thin. Um, and there's interaction so th there might be something like that you could call life but i don't know if it's like yeah. life as, as we think of it so i mean one of the things that's that's really interesting is you know neutron stars are actually a lot more complicated now than i think people originally thought the original you know when you take um protons and electrons and smash them together into into neutrons on to create this star, you've got this sort of uniform neutron ball, but mm -hmm. actually it looks like there's more layers and there's actually, there are, there's still a thin layer of protons in the outside of these neutron stars. And there could even be like different topological features on a neutron star. So it's not just this one singular spinning ball of, of mm -hmm. neutrons. There's still super bizarre places. The, the tidal forces nearby, the time dilation, it's super weird. And, uh, you want to stay as far away from neutron stars as as you can. So if they want to communicate and invite us, I wouldn't go. I think it's a trap. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, your turn. Sure. Yeah, I'll grab one here. Um, uh, let's see. I want to get one from my viewers here. There was a question here. Uh, Neil Yu is asking, Anton, what do you think about antimatter drives? Um, the only thing I remember about antimatter drives are is that it's a common technology that you get in space games. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, up on the tech tree after fusion exactly. drives, you get yeah, antimatter exactly. drives. Yeah. It's that's one thing you have to get to get to move faster. You get <laughs> one extra hexagon. Uh, but I mean, it's possible but difficult i uh, just to contain antimatter enough for us to have propulsion would be a challenge in itself i think because as you may know that um you know matter and antimatter don't actually interact uh, don't don't like each other very much they create a lot of energy if, if they combine uh, so you would have to use a very very powerful engine just to contain any matter so it doesn't touch anything and that in itself would probably require enough energy that we could maybe find an alternative method of propulsion using that energy that would be used otherwise. I mean, I think um, it's important it, to note, right, that, that antimatter is really just a battery, right? It's not a form of energy. It's just a way that you can store energy, take matter, split mm -hmm. it in, you know, or generate particles of antimatter in a large hadron collider, for example, and then yeah. take those little particles and store them in a way that they don't touch matter. And then at the time when you need, you can you know, pop them into each other and exactly. get lots Make them of touch. gamma radiation. But it's definitely like, it's, it's, I think it will eventually appear. Uh, it will definitely become a reality. But um, as of today, I think it's just too costly for us to, to, to maintain such an engine. And um, even then though, it's, you know, it's still, it will create propulsion and it will create um, enough, I guess, drive in a sense. Uh, but it won't really take us faster than the speed of light, which is what we need. We need to find a way to compress the space time to find, like, you know, you're not going to sit on a spaceship for a, 
four to five years just to get to the nearest star, right? It's it's going to take too long. So, well, um, so apparently someone did the math that the Parker Solar Probe could make it to Alpha Centauri in about six thousand years, going uh, the fastest speed. Sometimes it, that's what it feels like when you're, you know, <laughs> when you're faster. in a math le math lecture or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's well exactly, and I think, and that's they're talking about the solar. Um, probe right near the sun, right? Right as periapsis, right? Like at the closest approach to the sun. But by the time yeah. it moves farther away, it's, it's already going to be moving much slower. So there is, it's not like it's going to maintain that speed. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I think um, just finding technologies that can actually help us traverse distances faster would definitely uh, be a, a little bit more important than finding ways to just, you know, have fast, faster propulsion. Uh, although I think if we do have antimatter drive, um, one advantage of that would that be you can definitely colonize solar system a lot faster because we'll most likely not need as much propulsion yeah. or engines will be more efficient. The one I'm really hoping for is is metallic hydrogen. That if you could somehow craft, I mean, metallic hydrogen has been theoretically created here in, in the lab on Earth. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's the stuff that's at the heart of Jupiter, as long as you've mm -hmm. got the mass of Jupiter crushing in and to create the pressure and, and temperature to create metallic hydrogen. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, the level of energy density of metallic hydrogen, that's the kind of thing that would really make... Epstein drives from the expanse possible where you would be able I, I was to just think about that TV. Yeah, so exactly. Like, what do they actually use in the, in the expanse? And I totally yeah. forgot. Hey, Cody's labs watching. Hey, Cody. Hey, Cody, big fan. Um, uh, all right. So what else do we have here? Um, oh, this is a pretty interesting and pretty simple question. I guess uh, this is from Ella Lee. Um, do you think earth is a magical mistake or do you think there are more earths out there? Wow. That's a great, that's a great question. I mean, the, the, the thing is like, because we are, we evolved on earth, we have that perspective that here we are, right. And that this is the perfect place in the, in the universe. And we don't know how many other places out there across the entire universe would have the similar conditions to, to earth. We have a sample size of one. It's entirely possible that this, although seems super unlikely, that this is the only place in the entire universe that life has ever evolved. The other possibility is that life has evolved many places and we just have no evidence yet that these places exist. And until we find any other example whatsoever, we won't know if we're the, uh, you know, we're sort of like the only place in the universe that, that can or has ever developed life. It's a really frustrating mm -hmm. problem. What do you think? Fermi paradox. Do you think we're alone in the universe or do you think that, uh, that the universe is filled with aliens and we just can't find Honestly, it? there's just, uh, there's so many possibilities. And I, I guess um, in some sense, I want to believe, I even had that poster from the X-Files, but <laughs> every single time I start thinking about it, it makes me realize what, because the universe is still pretty young, what if we're actually the first mistake? Like we're the first miracle. Yeah, it is a, it's a huge possibility. And <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I actually I remember I was making a video about it. There's going to be time in the in the um, age of the universe when it's going to be very likely for life to actually be formed. You know, like when the, all of the uh, red dwarfs become a lot more hospitable to life when it's kind of settled down and they're all nice. Uh, they stop flaring up so much. The chance for life is going to be like exponentially higher than it is right now. Yeah. But um, even though there might be life somewhere, um, I don't know. Uh, okay, life, yes, I would say yes. But like an actual civilization with clever aliens, not so sure. But on, on the other hand, I want to believe in the other thing, which is actually, um, I know I have so much to say about it. <laughs> so, this is actually, this is a paper I read a, a while ago. Um, it was about... Um, so the way it goes is there were a lot of civilizations out there and they all kind of reached the same uh, point of evolution when they all kind of develop a supercomputer and they all transfer their intelligence into the supercomputer. But because the universe is still kind of hot, it still hasn't cooled down since the Big Bang, um, the computer is not as fast. It doesn't actually yeah. 
it's, in, it's impossible for us to reach higher speeds. And so they all kind of go into hibernation mode and basically just wait for the universe to cool down, which is like a pretty clever idea. And an idea that I think uh, I wouldn't really mind subscribing to because when you think about it, it seems that this process of developing a computer or just developing a tool that does everything for you would actually kind of make sense. And so there's the, maybe the some only problem with that, that theory. And I mean, we could do a whole episode where we just debate back and forth about the Fermi paradox, but the only debate with that problem is that what about the alien civilizations who decide they're not going to wait and they, and they sort of sneak up on all the sleeping aliens and wipe them all out. So there would be a evolutionary advantage uh, to, <laughs> to cheating and not waiting for the universe to cool down because you could then sort of find them all and blow up their stars and uh, and take the universe uh, for your own. So that's, that's true. I think they probably have a video game about that already. It wasn't that, uh, yeah. what was that video game called? Uh, Andromeda something. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but a anywho, so yeah, they, definitely an interesting debate, but I kind of made it a policy to just go with science. And if there's a paper, then yes. And if not, then I don't know. <laughs> the answer is I don't know. <laughs> well, I've, I've mentioned this on my stream a bunch of times. Um, the next generation uh, telescope is going to be coming after James Webb, the Louvoir telescope. It's going to be a 15-meter mm -hmm. telescope. And one of the things that it's going to be able to do is tell us with about a 90% accuracy if there's life in the Milky Way. Oh, wow. Didn't know about that. Yeah, huh. so it's going to be able to see a large enough sphere around the sun, around the around the Earth, that it's going to be able to sense the atmospheres of these other of these other mm -hmm. worlds, and detect if there's biosignatures on those worlds, and let astronomers know. Like I said, That's with about a ninety percent accuracy. In other words, if they find no life within that sphere that Louvoir can detect, then most likely the rest of the Milky Way is going to be the same. But if hmm. they do find life, then they'll know approximately how much life there is. And one of the kinds of life that they could find is intelligent life. So it's a pretty neat idea. So we just got, so it is a scientific question and we can get an answer to it. We just hmm. need much bigger telescopes. Hmm. Um, oh, I just actually see a question here. It says, uh, this is actually a, a, a good question to kind of answer because of the misconceptions that people have about black holes. Um, this is from Dogboy. If, if light is a massless particle and gravity only acts on objects with mass, how does it get sucked into a black hole? And I think this is actually what I wanted to bring up here. People assume black holes really suck in things like a vacuum cleaner. And they really don't do that at all. Uh, what they actually, and I think the best ex um, example of this is, you know, if, if you were to replace our sun with a black hole, nothing would actually change other than temperature falling. Um, and so the reason it doesn't actually, um, oh, sorry, the reason why it does kind of suck the light is because what, what it does to space around it, what a black hole does to space around it is that it, it folds it in such a way that light just kind of does its own thing. It, it goes straight, but because space is curved now, it's, it now kind of falls into the black hole because the space has been curved. And so it, it's not really the sucking process. It's just the process of curling the space around it itself to, to make light fall into it. So it is a massless particle. There's no like doubt about that, but the light itself is just curled. Sorry, not the light. The space itself is curled and the light falls into it. Yeah, falling. yeah, yeah. That that all all massive objects, the Earth is creating a bending of space-time. The sun is doing the same thing. And then all mm -hmm. of the objects think they're just moving in a straight line. From their perspective, it's just a straight line. Light is going in a straight line. It just happens to be that the space itself that it's following is now curved. And so it follows that curved path around it. Yeah. Yeah, someone's mentioning my web webcam is in sync with your voice with my voice and as you probably know that's pro from the uh from the dilation effects that are being broken yeah yeah space, like i said we had effects. to tear open space time <laughs> to make this even possible and i'm certain that we we crossed the streams so for sure yeah oh there's some question about titan anyway uh, it's your turn oh sure turn. well i'm gonna t I, I like that question i'll take it uh so all right fort nasa uh, asks, 
Um, when do you think that we will explore Titan more? And what do you think of Titan? Do you think there is life in that ocean that is under the surface or maybe on the surface? Titan is an absolutely fascinating place. And I think if I had to pick one place that we should definitely go back and explore more, it would totally be Titan. Titan is the <laughs> largest moon of, of Saturn. And it's a really weird place. It has an atmospheric density that is more than we have here on Earth. So you wouldn't need a spacesuit if you wanted to walk around on the surface of Titan. You just need a really, really good coat and a way to breathe. But you, yeah. but you wouldn't have to deal with that, that lack of pressure. Uh, because the atmosphere is so thick on Titan, you could wear a pair of wings and you could fly around with your own arm power on mm -hmm. Titan and fly around, which is amazing, right? So, um, and so the Titan is a really weird place. Titan is like Earth, but it's like everything is shifted one position. So the liquid on Titan is, um, is ammonia and methane and things that are gases here on Earth. The mountains on Titan are made of water where here on Earth, water is a liquid there. It's so cold that the water becomes the mountains and the sand and the rock and the dirt. And so everything mm -hmm. is shifted in this strange way. But the part that's really crazy, crazy about Titan is then you've got this layer on the top, but then beneath that, you very most likely have another liquid ocean similar to what's on Europa or Enceladus. So it's really mm -hmm. a twofer. Right. You go to Titan and you can explore the surface and you can send submarines down into these really cool um, seas of methane and search for exotic forms of life. And when you get bored of that, you could drill through the this ice shell and get to the liquid oceans underneath and explore that as a completely separate place. So I think that that uh, if I had to pick one place that we would go back and explore more deeply, it would absolutely be Titan. Mm -hmm, for sure. I definitely agree with it. I think I've mentioned it several times. It's probably one of the most favorite places I have in the solar system. I've talked about it many times. Um, and there's actually, I think, a couple of papers that do mention some anomalies on Titan, like uh, unusual methane levels that they couldn't explain and some other things that just don't make sense uh, from the scientific perspective we have right now and so there is a possibility for you know maybe microbial life creating all of this stuff uh, there's definitely a possibility to have life on titan because it does have the components for it um you know we even found things like um i think it was cyanates which are very important for life uh so there's yeah i, I personally i think there is something on on titan uh something unusual something interesting and we definitely have to come back um I, I was very sad to see uh, the Cassini mission go. Uh, I was hoping for more ESA missions that would actually uh, possibly take us back there. And oh I yeah, there we go. Mind. I'm putting up a video of a submarine on Titan. Yeah, that that was uh, that was planned uh, when I was still in college. I think I remember my professor who actually got me into the whole astronomy obsession. Um, he showed us that video yeah. back in the days, or maybe it was actually a little bit after. This one's fairly fairly fresh. Um, so I got a question for you. This one yeah. comes from Cody of Cody's Lab. Um, and he says, can you see the moons of Jupiter with the unaided eye from Mars or Ceres? With unaided eye? Yeah. So, uh, wait, so here on Earth, right? You, if you look up at Jupiter, you can't see the moons of Jupiter with your own eyeballs. You need, yeah, you need, a, a, you need a pair of binoculars or a telescope to be able to do it. But, but if from Mars? On, was he saying from Mars? From Mars or from Ceres, would you be able to see the moons? Well, I mean, the distance is still like, what, three astronomical units at least. Uh, I would have to say no. I don't think it would be that easy. I think you, you, you I mean, you would see Jupiter and you would probably see it flick, flicker on Mars just slightly. If you, no, actually, you, there would not be fl any flicker because there's not enough atmosphere. Uh, you would see it maybe dim a little bit if, if a moon passes in front of it. But not. I think you would still need like at least binoculars. So you wouldn't be able to just see because I've I've heard that people have said that that with really good vision in perfect skies when the air is clear, they can actually see it. But from Mars. From Earth. Oh, from Earth. But but they could also just be full of it, right? How do you how do you? I would have to say there. I mean, Galileo had had a pretty powerful telescope when he made it, and it took yeah. him a while to like squint just to see those four Galilean moons. Um, and back then, I think the skies were much darker too. So people were definitely seen a lot more. 
uh, because of the light pollution. But uh, that's a great question. It's a great question, though. Yeah. I, I think it well, sounds like a new video. Exactly, but definitely more from series, uh, higher chance from series because it's closer. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's it is pretty far away. You, I, I would really have to investigate the actual parallax that you have between the, like, say, let's say the farthest moon, um, like Ganymede and Jupiter or something, and to see how far away it is from that distance. Because uh, I mean, that eye sensitivity is really all about changes in, in parallax from a distance. So, uh, for now, I would say no, but maybe. Yeah. Like like I said, I, now it's in your head, and now you're yeah. going to do a video on it. So. I, I know the answer for me is definitely no. I mean, <laughs> right, wear your so, glasses. Yeah, so yeah. I probably wouldn't be able to see uh, the nearest rock on on, uh, on Mars. But anyway, yeah. All right, you grab a uh, question. Uh, okay, let's see. Can we terraform Mars? Uh, I, I guess that's a that's that's a sort of a big question to answer. Can we terraform Mars? And I think I've made my opinion. Very unclear several times in my videos. <laughs> okay. I don't know. That's right. So the um, so the big problem with terraforming Mars is that the solar wind that's coming from the sun is constantly blasting against the atmosphere of Mars. And because mm -hmm. the, the gravity on Mars is so low, any atmosphere that tries to build up into the, um, into the atmosphere of Mars is going to get blown away by the solar wind. So the yeah. first thing that you would need to do if you wanted to somehow terraform Mars is that you would then have to block off. You'd, you'd put like a big sunshade at the L1, at the Mars sun, L1 mm -hmm. Lagrange point that would block off the solar wind that's coming from the sun. And what that what that would do is you would then get natural volcanic gases that are coming out of Mars and they would build up and build up and build up in the atmosphere and they mm -hmm. would warm up the planet to the point that the poles would melt, that that would probably release the carbon dioxide that's trapped in the poles of Mars and you would be able to thicken the atmosphere and warm up the planet a bit. The big mm -hmm. question, this is the one that sort of created this controversy in the last couple of, of weeks, is is there enough trapped gas on Mars that you could mm -hmm. ever not have to wear a spacesuit? And this is still a controversy that goes back and forth, whether you're Elon Musk or, yeah. or the, the scientists who, who put uh, well, forth this. I think the latest study did an analysis and they basically showed that there was just not enough yeah. CO2 there. Yeah, uh, you, you don't have enough CO2 to even create enough atmosphere, not to mention a greenhouse effect. Uh, so it sounds like the answer is no, unless we find a way to somehow bring more stuff by like colliding it with things, maybe. But even that yeah. would be too far fetched at this point. All right, um, I, I got a great one for you here. Fernanda Backer is asking, um, in the future, is it possible that we'll see new stars and planets made with heavier and heavier elements since supernova explosions are putting heavier elements into space? Stars? Well, I'm uh, usually stars end at iron, so I think up to iron we're fine. But as soon as you reach the, the limit, basically, when the energy is no longer created from, uh, from fusion, it kind of stops at that, but I think what might happen is eventually, um, well, if things don't be, if everything doesn't become a black hole, I guess, in the future, uh, there might be a, a time when some other effect will start appearing, especially as the universe expands and as things start interacting differently. It's possible that something else will actually start appearing that we can't even imagine right now. So um, as of now, I think it kind of just stops at what we have. But maybe, just maybe, in a few trillion years, things will change. Just so wait. what would happen in a few trillion years? Uh, well, I, I'm guessing simply because of the expansion of the universe, it's possible that the fabric itself will actually start sort of acting on things differently. And maybe, Whoa. just maybe, even though like iron will become somehow different, maybe it will just start producing energy or maybe something else will happen. Um, I would really have to, a lot of questions that um, are sort of hypothetical like this, I often have to do hours of research just to discover if it's even possible with you, uh, scientifically. Yeah. But right now I would say, I mean, with time, anything can happen, you know? Well, just if you collected enough. together enough of any element that was less than iron, you could turn it into a star and you could 
generate fusion power out of it. Mm -hmm. Oxygen, neon, exactly anything all the way up to iron. Once you collected that iron together, iron is not going to generate more energy that comes out of it than than is going into it. So you can't have a star made out of gold. So my only, uh, I guess my, my only sort of retort is, um, so we know how universe was very different in the first sort of few million years, uh, or I guess at least first 400,000 years. And it's possible that things will still change, I guess. In some sense, there's still a possibility for elements not behaving the same way anymore. Like when, when space is so stretched out that you know like you just don't get the same interaction but that's that's very hypothetical it's definitely requires some hardcore uh quantum physics and a lot of interesting analysis but yeah for now the answer is no um but you know you do get really cool almost iron stars and they're very different they don't last very long though they usually die within a few million years so we don't get enough of them i've i've can we actually see them? I know Isaac, someone's mentioning in your chat that Isaac Arthur did a whole episode on iron stars. So, so people should check that out. Um, I would imagine that we can't see them because I don't think they produce energy to, to, to be seen. I think they just kind of stay as a blob iron. of iron. I, yeah. A blob of iron. Um, I'm assuming that the only sort of like dead stars we can see are the white works are pretty visible and, uh, that's about it. Neutron stars. Yeah. That's well, it. and this is, you know, back to that concept about supernova spreading those heavier elements into the universe. Now it looks like it could very well be that the vast majority of that is actually coming mm -hmm. from neutron star collisions, which are exactly. causing supernova, yeah. but, but are, you know, kilonova as opposed to supernova. And so it might mm -hmm. very well be that we don't get those heavier elements from supernova at all. And that's still now mm -hmm. a big question. And that whole discovery of the Kilanova last year really changed everything about the way people are seeing these these catastrophic events. Mm hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I have to check out the Isaac Arthur's video. Yeah, I haven't I'm seen that kind one. Of curious. I'm kind of curious about it. He actually, this is one of the reasons I decided to be the, make the Sea Dragon video because I I knew about the rocket, but I actually didn't realize how big it was, and so he inspired me to create this because I wanted to see if I can recreate it in Kerbal Space Program. Yeah, were you able to? Yeah, it was uh, It was pretty epic. It can It can actually, um, um, I have another video coming up soon where it actually can lift Saturn V, uh, at least the second stage of Saturn V and basically take it all the way to the orbit. And then you can use Saturn V engines to finish and take it to Mars. Uh, but it's not reusable, right? The whole thing is just destroyed. Oh, uh, the lower stage is. Yeah. Uh, they, their plan for Sea Dragon was that you would actually have this humongous inflatable raft slash, um, I guess it's like a parachute raft. It's like a thing that inflates and slows down the descent and then splashes into water. And so the lower stage was actually, the first stage was reusable, the most expensive stage. The second stage was not. Um, and so there's, there's definitely a lot of reusability in that rocket. And it was made from cheap parts. It was actually very efficient. There was no need for uh, any uh, takeoff um, operations. You basically did everything from the water. Yeah, it's just floating. And, yeah, exactly. And then you just kind of like lift it did up. Did you have and... to do anything to... I should bring up your video. Um, did you have to do anything to like to mod the game to let you do a sea dragon launch in Kerbal space program? Uh, well, someone already made a model and, uh, I left the link in the description and, um, I only had to change it to the realistic solar model. I think it's called RO or something like that. Um, and, uh, that's because the sea dragon is so powerful that if you actually launch it in the regular Kerbal space program, it literally just destroys itself because it's so powerful and it destroys everything on, on below you as well uh it, it has way too much power it's just it's ridiculous how powerful it is yeah, i found it here hold on let yeah. me just uh, let me put this up for people here i'm just going to put the audio here for a second. so here we go this is a vertical sort of positioning and uh the way that the rocket would be launched then is you would first start the engine and then as soon as it's um running and powerful enough you would release <coughs> it and it would ba basically launch the rocket into Will happen anytime now. Oh, that's okay. amazing. Um, I think the audio this is uh, engine not playing, will but be okay. released. Yeah, I, I put the audio on it just just for that. Oh, okay. I, I yeah. yeah. I guess I don't hear it from my end. Uh, 
Um, oh, I may have yeah, to, okay. I might have to take your video after <laughs> because mine is not really uh, the best quality here. Um, um, oh, yeah, you can do that. I'll, I'll download a copy and then put it on. on okay, or you could, that, probably, you awesome. could probably just rip it. I'm sure you can think of a way to do that. But if not, oh, I, can, awesome. I can download a copy of it for you. Um, but yeah, that, that rocket was actually, I forgot why we started talking about it, but it's, it's, about it's a pretty dragon? incredible. Yeah. Cause yeah, all a... roads lead to the sea dragon. I think exactly Every yeah, conversation just... about space flight just turns into a conversation about the sea dragon. But here's the, here's the kicker though. Apparently the guy who invented it, he, he had smaller models made and he actually tested them and they worked just fine. So he had like, he had one called CB, which was really small. And then he made another one, bigger one that was basically the size of a typical ICBM. Um, he called Seahorse and they tested that as well. And there's actually videos online um, that someone stored from like back in the 90s. Uh, someone collected all these videos of the rocket being tested and it was all running fine. And I guess people were really excited about it, but well, money ran out. So <laughs> that is awesome. I, I, I love the concept. I think, I mean, I really think that we're sort of at this place now with what SpaceX is doing, especially with the BFR, the if they can make the BFR work with the reusable top stage and the reusable bottom stage, then you've got this fully reusable spacecraft that you're using, you know, every part of the spacecraft comes back to earth and, and can be reused. And I think that's the Holy grail. Every other rocket system then will just be an adaptation of that model because there's something really magical about not having to throw out your rocket every time you use it. I mean, this is the tragedy of the, um, of the NASA's space launch system, right? It's got, it's going to be running four of those beautiful RS-25 engines that mm -hmm. came from the space shuttle. Easily one of the most efficient rockets engines ever made. These things are expensive. They're the, you know, they're the Ferraris of rocket engines. And exactly. each one was lovingly refurbished after every space shuttle launch. And now they're going to take the things and just, just burn them up in the atmosphere, which is, which is heartbreaking. So uh, to see things like the, the BFR where things going to launch, both the, the two halves are going to separate, they're going to land, and then it's going to do the whole thing again. Right? I can't yeah, believe exactly. it. I can't wait for us to be able to be in that place. I don't know if you've played a surviving Mars game that was I haven't yet, no. Paradox. It, they they kind of sort of copy that idea in how you land on Mars and it looks brilliant. It's just like yeah. you land on Mars and the rocket refuels on Mars and just takes off again. It's why did nobody <laughs> <laughs> Well people have people have, have thought about I but I mean why did people nobody tr like, really nobody try to build it, right? a two stage yeah. completely reusable rocket? But actually, brilliant. you know, the, the Mars twenty twenty rover is going to have a um it's going to have an experiment on board that's going to be generating rocket fuel from the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So they're going to be doing this mm -hmm. test to see if they actually can pull out um, the carbon dioxide and turn it into potential rocket fuel. And if that works, then yeah. a future spacecraft rocket factory will go to Mars, land, um, and produce all of the fuel that the astronauts will need before they can come home. So. There's actually a really cool question here from Restian. Um, why do you think governments are not interested in the space race anymore? And it's it's really kind of it comes down to you know why did space race even start? Yeah. And I think it was just a big sort of uh, saber rattling of two countries trying to compete with each other. And I think this is what's missing now. We're missing this competition. Like nobody is really trying to outcompete themselves except for maybe two people, and those two people are. Uh, Elon Musk and um, Bezos from Amazon. <laughs> They're basically the only two crazy people crazy enough to actually create something. Well, right yeah. now, uh, there's actually like five um, different groups that are working on sending humans to the moon, mm -hmm. right? So there's there's NASA is potentially going to be going back to the moon as part of the, um, the SLS and the Orion system. You've got um, SpaceX. You've got, uh, I think Lockheed Martin is working with Bigelow Aerospace to send mm -hmm. a inflatable habitat to lunar orbit. You've got the Chinese who are absolutely going to be sending people to uh, to the moon. Like this is all mm -hmm. part of the plan. Um, so I think that there's, and there's one more and I forget, but, but there's actually, now there really is a race back again. And I think people will be surprised how quickly. I mean, one of the things that the BF, the, that the SpaceX, the BFR is going to be able to do just as a 
cool side effect is do things like land on the moon and return. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, just one of its capabilities would be able to do that. So I think that that it, it was a race in the past because it was, it, one, it was like the dominance to show that you could drop nuclear weapons anywhere on planet Earth, right? You wanted to show mm-hmm. your enemy that you could hurt them where they live. Uh, and it nearly bankrupted both economies to be able to to make those happen. I think the spending during the Apollo missions was about 10 times what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you uh, now the once now those flags have been landed, right? So what is the point of going back to space? Now it's for economic reasons. Now it's for sort of deeper, more uh, exploration and uh, science reasons. So I think and it's going to have to be cheaper, but I think this time people are going to stay. Hopefully. Yeah. Although, uh, having been to China several times, I'm actually surprised how it seems that the interest in actual space exploration, like from a regular public, is almost non-existent. Really? I, I was actually surprised how, um, I mean, compared to, I guess, anywhere I've been to, it, it seems that people don't really care about it as much as... Hmm. as other like as other more common things like i don't know online shopping or and it, it seems to be uh it seems to be more of um i think it's a more of a cultural thing where they kind of just adapt to one thing and they all go into it and so the government is pushing them to to be interested in space but there is unfortunately just not enough um i guess kind of a internal interest um and this is actually interesting i i've mentioned to you previously that both of our videos were actually unofficially borrowed by a few space uh, enthusiasts in China. And for those of you who may not know, apparently we, well, at least uh, Fraser here is a celebrity in China without even knowing about it. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Uh, But interestingly, um, they do have like 8 million followers, which is a a huge, huge number for, you know, when you think about like, I don't know, like us. having Yeah, my my Chinese videos get, have way more subscribers than my English videos. (laughs) But the the interesting thing is that when you really think about the population of China, then the actual percentage is so tiny compared to some other channels that they have yeah. that it really shows you how it just, there's really not that much interest after all. Even though it's 8 million, there's like 1.3 billion people. So it's technically not that big of a number. <laughs> uh, it, at least that's how my my Chinese friend explained it to me. Right. I was I was really trying to argue with him. Are you sure there? you guys are not interested in space? Uh, I was actually asking him to see if we can actually create some kind of a space thing. And yeah. um, it's difficult. It's very difficult to, to, do, to do it in China because I think right now it's, just, it's the government doing it, but not so much actual like people. They're not as interested. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm totally fine with it. If, if somebody wants to rip off my videos and add <laughs> translations and, 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 put them in a, in a in another language i'm totally fine with that feel free to do that go crazy yeah actually some people it, that do that in in russian and ukrainian i think as well and i know some people do it in in spanish and portuguese and it's very weird to me because the ones that are super weird is where people will actually do the voiceover and so i'm just like there and i'm talking and then <laughs> i'm speaking russian with a completely different voice and that's uh, that's pretty awesome yeah i I hope someone does it for me too. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally fine with just, it. Just so I can keep it for posterity. Uh, that's awesome. Um, okay, so what else do we have? Uh, so there are a lot of questions about aliens and civil- type three civilizations. Yep. Aliens seems to be a big topic here. Um, cool. We've got How about long? five minutes left. Oh, so it's oh, got to yeah, be a good right. one. Oh, okay. So you guys got to ask a good question. We're going to put, put this weight on you. One last question. Amazing question for either one of us or both of us. Yeah. Because I, I think a lot of those questions that were asked previously, someone else actually answered them, which is great. I love having this party where things just happen. You know, People, <laughs> People are answer answering questions. questions as well. Um, yeah. Well, actually, before we go into any other questions i would love to know sort of you know what's going on with you what are some upcoming videos that you're working on you know where can the people who are watching this on my channel find out more about what you're doing um so i basically make a video i try to make a video every day um i've kind of been successful more or less uh in the last few years but 
it may have to, I may have to slow down because it is very taxing. Uh, but the few upcoming videos are going to be follow-ups to the Sea Dragon. I'm going to be talking about. Um, actually, let me check. I totally don't remember. I'm going to be talking about uh, some hypothetical scenarios of what would be different if Earth was different. There's going to be one video discussing. That's my folder with all this stuff. Uh, discussing all of the um, Earth um, hi historical differences, like how Earth actually changed throughout the ages. And this is the kind of stuff that I usually make on the channel because um, I tend to explore it scientifically, but I also want to sort of answer hypothetical questions that people might have. You know, what if Earth was this? Let's mm -hmm. do science. And what if it what was if... like double the size? Exactly, yeah. or or even better. Like, what if you know um, life never evolved? What, how would Earth look? Yeah. Um, uh, someone was asking me a question previously. You know, how did Sun form from um, just gas collapse? How does it work? So I actually made a simulation that I'm going to be posting next week, where I show you how gas collapse actually creates uh, star-like objects, uh, and it happens every single time, no matter where you put the actual gas particles. Uh, there's going to be answers to questions like um different planets you may have not known existed that are absolutely mind-blowing like yeah. just stuff stuff like that and uh, it's usually all realistic things that actually do exist or scientific things so i don't i don't deal with like aliens unless it's a science uh or i don't really do um things that are too uh extreme uh, and... Nick Dolce is saying in your chat uh, that you have a Patreon. So, uh, and this is key, right? Yeah. If you're going to go full time making exactly. science videos, uh, then I think everyone who's watching and is a big fan of Anton's work should go to patreon.com slash. Yeah, and thank you so much, Nick. He's actually been a supporter for a long time. Um, the only thing is that I've actually, like I said, this is my first year actually doing this full time. So yeah. I'm going to be changing up a lot of things. I, I want to do a lot more streaming as well. Uh, there's a, a few unfinished projects. Like people have been asking me for to finish this absolutely terrifying Alien Isolation game, which I don't know if you've ever seen or heard I've, about I've it. Played but it. Yeah, I've got it. I, I fear quit it. I, I couldn't do it, but I still I want to finish it. And there's just things I want to do this year just to show my appreciation to, for all the support, but also to kind of really um, create this kind of a learning channel for people that are interested in science and want to learn through specifically video games because yeah. that's kind of how I started. I wanted to do more video game education. Um, I mentioned in one of my sort of intro videos that I actually learned pretty much everything I know through video games, including English. I didn't speak English until I started playing Diablo back in the days, <laughs> uh, which is pretty, uh, yeah. And so it's there's a lot of things that uh, modern video games have to offer. And so I'm trying to show this sort of scientific side by using uh, all of these video games I managed to find over the years. And uh, a lot of them have been made by amazing people. And some of them are actually absolutely free, yeah. like Space Engine, which I use a lot, is absolutely free. And uh, awesome. Uh, what's my next video? We just filmed, I did a video on Pluto and, and what's up next for New Horizons and mm -hmm. some of the interesting discoveries, but also that there's some plans in the works to send a return mission to Pluto. So maybe an mm -hmm. orbiter, maybe a lander, something like that. And then after that, I am working on an episode on the ice cube neutrino detector. So I'm talking about mm -hmm. uh, like how neutrinos are detected by this, how they're produced, mm -hmm. generated, how they were first discovered and some kind of more exotic ideas for neutrinos. Could we use them as a communication cool. system? Things like that. So could very well be that we could scan the sky, scan the universe for, for messages from aliens using neutrinos. Uh, so I've got a, a couple of episodes in the works. I don't do one every day, though, although I guess I kind of do. If you look mm -hmm. at all of the various with astronomy cast and the weekly space hangout and and the big thing that we've been doing now is I hook up a telescope live into a live stream and take wow, requests. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's like I'm a DJ, but with a telescope. <laughs> and so people but are like, you know, let me know what you want to see. And that's really we... cool. So, but you have to live in a really dark area for this. Well, so it's, a, it's a remote telescope. It's operating out of a oh, dark okay. sky area in California. Oh, okay, okay. And so I just okay. use it through the internet. Big thanks to Oceanside Photo and Telescope. They built the telescope and wow. then I get to use it. So um, that's really awesome. Yeah. So we do that. We're doing that on, on Twitch and I'm doing that a bit on YouTube as well. So, so maybe uh, some night uh, you'll join me and we'll, uh, we'll do some astronomy. That's, Real that's astronomy. That's really cool. That's really awesome. Simulation. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, real astronomy as opposed to just video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. All right. So, any more last questions here? Let's see. Uh, people are asking me about Elite Dangerous. I I do play that, but it's not my full time. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too it's, complicated. It's too time. And yeah. it's so much time yeah. that you need to commit to it. I, um, I I've reached sort of video game singularity. Everything I just play is RimWorld now. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> I just I just I, that game is just the is the perfect game for me. And uh, and that's all I play. Um, well, we've reached the end of our of our hour, and we should wrap this up. Clearly, I think people enjoyed it. Uh, we should do something like this again in the future. It was super sure. fun. I'm always happy to jump in if you want someone to co-pilot when you're awesome. uh, doing some some episode about uh, you're going to smash things into other things. I'm happy to, to hang out and uh, and ooh and ah with you, uh, everyone. I've put a link to Anton in the in the chat. I'm going to in in the uh, in the show notes, and I'll put the cards and stuff at the end screen, so you can go to his channel. And if you're listening to this on exactly. the podcast, go to what do a search for what the math, and you'll be able to find his all the stuff that he does. And same thing for me. So everything is going to be in the description. Um, check out uh, Fraser's channel. It's absolutely amazing. I've been a huge fan for a long time. How long have you been actually doing this? Because I, I remember trying to look it up. Like How long decades. have I been a science? I've been I've been doing Universe Today for twenty years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's just this is my dream now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, <laughs> stay it's, in this it's entirely possible. Uh, you can skip a lot of the mistakes that I made. Um, so you're you're exactly on the right track, man. You're killing it. And I'm really awesome. enjoying the content that you do, and I can't wait can't wait to hang out again. There you go. Someone oh, just oh gave god. you a hundred euros. What? Oh my yeah. god! Thank you so much, useless awesome. companion. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the name. I'm sorry. Uh, oh wow! Thank you so much. This is crazy. All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop my stream, but you're gonna have to stop your stream separately. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so thank you so much, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. This was actually super fun. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll get to finish Alien Isolation with Fraser Kane next time. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Flashbacks. All right. We'll see you, see you later, everybody. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.